Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of Father and Son's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm your host, Anthony. And I'm your co-host, Ethan. And we are excited to start this podcast. Uh, We came up with the idea a few months ago and have kind of slowly been working on it. Basically, what we want to do is explore all things science fiction, but mostly Star Trek, because that's kind of what we're into right now. And we thought it would be fun to start off by watching each episode of the original series of Star Trek and just kind of comment on each episode as as we go through the, the three seasons. And then from there, we'll see see where the podcast goes. But before we jump into the first episode that we want to talk about, we thought we'd give just a brief personal introduction for each of us. So as I mentioned, my name is Anthony. I'm a practicing attorney. That's my my day job. I enjoy science fiction. I love reading science fiction. I love watching science fiction. And Star Trek has been uh, a big part of my life pretty much since my early years because my parents were, were quite into it. And so I've been able to now pass that love of Star Trek as well as science fiction fantasy type shows like Star Wars and to my son, Ethan. And that's a little bit about me. Ethan, you want to give the audience a, a brief introduction to you? Yeah, so like I said before, I'm Ethan. I'm currently going through high school. And I mean, I wasn't the biggest Star Trek fan a few years ago. I thought it was just lame guys sitting in chairs screaming, shields at 20% every two seconds. But my dad forced me to watch an episode, you know, liked it. So we started with some of the newer things and went down to some more of the classic stuff. So yeah, now we're doing this podcast. All right. And just by way of background, we've watched all of the seasons together of Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Uh, I think we're over halfway through now, Deep Space Nine. We started that from the beginning. And then I've watched all of TNG, and Ethan has watched some of those episodes with me, as well as uh, some episodes of Voyager. But you haven't Ethan had much exposure to the original series other than the movies that that we've watched. And how how many episodes of the original series would you guess that you've watched in total? I've been there when you've watched one of them. And then other than the one we just watched, that's it. Okay. So we'll be getting kind of a fresh perspective on the original series from Ethan. And I also haven't had a lot of exposure to it. I was born in 1979. So the well after uh, the series ended. So my exposure to Star Trek as a kid was mostly through the movies, but I did watch some episodes of the original series. My dad would get them on VHS and collect them. So I've seen several episodes, but I haven't watched a lot of it recently. And so I'm looking forward to kind of starting from the beginning and going through each of the seasons and watching those with Ethan, which is what makes it so fun for me now. So the first episode that we watched, we decided to skip the the pilot episode with Captain Pike that, that was not aired and just start with the episode that was actually aired first, which is called The Man Trap. So this is season one, episode one. And this was uh, an interesting episode I read on Wikipedia, the, the source of all truth. 
uh, that um, this was actually the sixth episode that they had filmed before the show started airing, but they decided to air this one as the first episode uh, because of the the horror aspect to it, which uh, they thought would uh, be a draw for uh, the audience, and uh, and it seemed seemed like that that was a good choice. So, what were your initial impressions, Ethan, of the Man Trap? Let's see. It was it was an interesting concept. It was kind of one of the first like launches into using shapeshifters in Star Trek, which I thought was cool because, you know, Odo from Deep Space Nine, great character. We love him. And it was also just interesting to see how like the original crew of the Enterprise in Star Trek sort of interacted with each other. And it was really an interesting perspective. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that struck me from the very beginning was that Kirk and uh, McCoy's friendship was already pretty well established. And you could see that in the way that they interacted and in they, they encounter, well, maybe we should back up and, and kind of set the stage for, for the episode. So they, the enterprise goes to this M class planet. It's kind of this barren wasteland of a planet. And they're there to just do routine medical inspections of some Federation scientists, which I guess under the, the regulations, they're required to undergo a, a medical exam or physical of some sort every year or two. So the Enterprise is on assignment to go do this. And so Kirk and McCoy and another character whose life will <laughs> will end shortly into the episode, Darnell. Unnamed security guard will live in our memories forever. Yeah. No, he actually had a name. It was Darnell. Was oh, wait, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote it down. So anyway, they beam down to this planet and they encounter a professor, an archaeologist, and his wife, or who they think is his wife, Nancy Carter. And Nancy Carter was apparently Dr. McCoy's love interest like 10 years prior uh, to the events of this episode. And so McCoy's kind of nervous to, to see her again. And, you know, it was kind of the uh, the love that got away from him uh, all those years ago. And so anyway, when he sees Nancy for the first time, she calls him Plum. That was a, a nickname, apparently, that she had for Bones. And so Kirk kind of ribs him about that later and, and jokes with him about being nicknamed Plum. So I liked that they started off the series with that that close friendship between Bones and Kirk. And, of course, the relationship between those two and Spock becomes a big part of, of the story. So do you want to give a, a little bit of a synopsis about what happens after they get to the planet? Yeah, so... This was, I didn't fully understand what was happening until like I pieced it together later, but in all the scenes, sorry, I forgot her name. You mind reminding me? Uh, yeah, Nancy Crater. Yeah. I think I said Carter a minute ago, but I think it's Crater. Yeah, it's Crater. Yeah. Yeah, so Nancy Crater was like having a different face every scene, basically. At, at each crewman was seeing her differently, which kind of just alluded to the fact that she is a shapeshifter, like Dr. McCoy saw her as he saw her 10 years ago, which was significantly younger. Kirk saw her as kind of just an older woman. And the third security guy saw her as a lady he met on a pleasure planet. Right. <laughs> some uh, some blonde lady. And the character uh, of Nancy Crater was brunette. And, and so that's actually an interesting observation. You referred to 
the character as a shapeshifter. And, I, and that's kind of what I thought initially, too. But after thinking about it, so th- she appears three different ways at the very same time to the three characters, Kirk, Bones, and, and what's his name? Darnell. And so that almost leads me to believe that maybe she wasn't a shapeshifter per se, but she just had the ability to fool people's uh, eyes and make them see what she wants them to see. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I mean, that that does kind of make sense because she also has the ability to paralyze her victims before she inevitably killed them to preserve her own life. So, right, right. So maybe she just has the power to manipulate the mind instead of shape shifting. Instead of actually sh- shifting, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a question that goes unanswered. But certainly, if she is a shape shifter, she's a very different type of shape shifter from Odo in in Deep Space Nine. She's not one of the the founders or anything like that. So, anyway, they see Crater, and she looks like these three different women and then what happens next the the professor shows up right professor crater and he's refusing the the physical he doesn't want to do the medical exam that they're there to do and says that the only thing that they need from the enterprise is some salt tablets which is an interesting little clue that will come to light a little bit later in the story and then they finally convince him that he needs to do the exam. And then Bones, before he can even really get into the exam, there's a scream, right? They hear a scream. And in the meantime, uh, Darnell um, had left uh, the little house or cave or whatever it was they were staying in. And so had Nancy Crater. And so they go out and they find that Darnell is dead And not only is he dead, but he's got this kind of weird red rings on his face. And they're not really sure what that is. And then from there, they beam him up back to the Enterprise. And Spock, who had been left in command of the Enterprise, who is, of course, the science officer, he analyzes a plant that Nancy Crater said that Darnell had ingested. And it turns out that the plant was poisonous, but that the red rings were not a symptom of the plant. So it's unclear what was the cause of Darnell's death. And then what what happens next? Do you remember? I thought this was kind of interesting, a discussion between Kirk and Dr. McCoy. He was just, he was trying to tell Kirk he looks like a perfectly healthy man. And Kirk was getting at, like... I wouldn't say angry, but kind of like stern with him because he thought just the fact that he was seeing his old lover was distracting him and not having him focus on his work. And so he kind of was just trying to steer McCoy back into the right direction. And then it was later found out that he was just doing all the wrong tests. And weirdly enough, this guy, Darnell, his body was completely drained of all salt, resulting in immediate death. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that scene where Kirk is getting kind of agitated at Bones because he's concerned for his crew, right? He wants to get to the bottom of what happened, why this crewman died. And Bones is admittedly a little distracted, like you said, by the the fact that he's encountered this previous love interest of his. And Kirk is 
kind of like, you need, you need to focus and get me answers here. And I thought that was interesting uh, for character development uh, for a couple of reasons. So first, because it, it establishes that Kirk is clearly the one in command, right? Um, and there, there's no question about who is in charge of the ship and everybody, even Bones, who is a close friend of his, respects his authority when he is acting as captain. And then uh, a little bit later, uh, Kirk actually kind of kind of apologizes to, to Bones for, for getting upset and, and Bones said, you know, actually I was kind of distracted and I need to focus on my job here. So that... I think it's just another good example of the close friendship that they have together. So after that scene, let's see, the Professor Crater ends up running away, right? Yeah. Am I remembering that right? Okay. And in the meantime, they, Kirk and I think McCoy and a couple of other crew members beam down and, Nancy Crater kills the the two crew members and they end up having the same red rings on their face that Darnell had. And so Nancy ends up taking the form of or, or appearing as one of those two crew members that she had just killed, which was his name was Green, I think. And so they think Nancy is missing. And so they beam back up to the ship with who they think is green. And again, trying to get to the bottom of this. It it was interesting too, because the other character that was killed, um, his name was Sturgeon. And they didn't, when when they beamed back to the ship, they didn't beam his body back with them like they did when Darnell died earlier in the episode. I, I don't know why that was, but they beam back and then Kirk tells the guy working the transporter room, beam Sturgeon back uh, up and, you know, take care of his body or whatever. So I don't know what that was all about, but they, they maybe they didn't have the capacity to beam four individuals at the same time. They never showed the beam in when Darnell died, but they did show... Kirk beam back up to Enterprise when Sturgeon died, so they probably just didn't want to go through the trouble of making it look like they beamed up a dead body oh, in yeah. filming. Yeah, maybe so. But they showed Darnell beaming out with Kirk and McCoy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, just just an interesting little observation. I'm not sure there's any significance to it, but something that I noticed. So they get back to the Enterprise, and then Green, which is really Nancy, kind of roams around the ship and she comes across Sulu who's hanging out in the botany science lab and having his lunch brought to him. That was another funny thing that they had the, the one lady, I don't remember if she even had a name, but she like carried around a tray of food and I guess brought it to the senior officers or something to eat, but she brought food to Sulu. And then later in the episode, she brought food to the bridge and Captain Kirk was eating from this plate that she brought. So I don't know if that, that just struck me as kind of funny, but I don't know if that's something that is a a normal thing uh, in the original series or not. I guess we'll, we'll, find out as we uh, watch the episodes. But anyway, so Green or Crater, she also confronts Lieutenant Uhura. She appears to Uhura as a a good-looking guy who, you know, Uhura is obviously physically attracted to, and she's kind of spellbound by him. And then she ends up appearing to McCoy 
as Crater again. And he he doesn't realize that she's that that Kirk and the and the others don't know that she's on the ship, right? So there's this this disconnect between the characters. And then what happens after that? Well, one thing I wanted to go back to and point out is when the shapeshifter appeared to Uhura, it was almost like she could read her mind in the sense that the shapeshifter started speaking in Swahili, and that was some, a language that Uhura also knew. So I think you could probably, from that, conclude that the shapeshifter probably more is a mental influence than a physical influence in terms of appearance. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And it it also struck me as funny that the shapeshifter, the crater characters going around and, and acting kind of weird, right? When she takes the appearance of green, he's like stalking this, the lady with the food wanting to get the, the salt shaker off of her tray. And then Uhura has the encounter with the alien that she sees as an attractive looking guy. And Nobody reports any kind of strange behavior, right? Even though there's some strange things happening on the ship, everybody just kind of ignores it. And I thought that was interesting. And maybe it wasn't strange enough for them to feel like they needed to report something to the captain. But in any event, that's what happened. And then Crater meets up with McCoy in his quarters and McCoy had been trying to go to sleep, right? And he was stressed out about the whole situation. And Kirk told him he should take a pill to help him sleep, which Kirk apparently had been given by McCoy a week or two earlier, and it helped Kirk sleep. So Kirk said, oh, you should take one of those red pills. That, that'll knock you out. And so after Crater comes to McCoy's quarters, he does end up taking the pill. She kind of convinces him to do that. And then he ends up falling asleep. And in, in the meantime, I, I can't remember, at what point did they find the, the professor on the planet? That's, is, that, that, is that closer to the end or I'm trying to remember the, the order of the story? It was, it was after she took on the appearance of McCoy. But then, remember, he got brought up to the meeting in the ready room about how to address the situation. That's right. That's right. So so Kirk and, and Spock. Spock beam back down to the planet, and then they eventually find the professor. He doesn't want to go with them, but, and, and in fact, he's threatening them with a, with a phaser, but they kind of trick them and get them to, to come back to the Enterprise. And so then they're in the conference room or whatever that is. And they're discussing the problem, like how to deal with this. And McCoy, in quotes, is in the conference room with them, but it's actually the alien posing as McCoy, like you said. And then it, it becomes apparent that the professor knows that that is the alien and not actually McCoy, um, uh, because he admits that he's able to tell when it's the alien but he doesn't tell them that McCoy is the alien, right? But Spock is suspicious about it. And so uh, they leave um, the conference room and uh, they, let's see what, what happens. Oh, Spock in the meantime had been attacked by the alien, but because of his Vulcan blood, he wasn't susceptible to the, to the, his salt wasn't the type of salt that, the alien needed or i guess i think he phrased it my people spawned in a different ocean than you did right right so anyway so they leave the conference room and then 
uh, oh, and so Kirk finds that Spock had been attacked and injured, and he also finds at the same time the professor who was dead. So the alien ended up killing the professor. And the reason that they now, – now I'm remembering. So when they had left the conference room, Kirk had ordered that the professor be given truth serum. And McCoy – or the McCoy character – who was actually the alien was reluctant, but said, you know, normally I wouldn't advise that, but I guess in this situation, you know, we we don't have any choice. And then they leave and that's when the alien attacks and kills the professor and attacks Spock as well. But truth serum, I thought was interesting. And it makes me wonder if we're going to see that used in other episodes. I'm sure we will. I imagine that's something that the writers came up with to use from time to time in these stories. So after that, then the alien crater goes back to McCoy's quarters. And this was my favorite part of the episode. And the reason is because I think it gets to what is the heart of Star Trek and the values of Starfleet and the Federation. So she goes back to the quarters. Kirk, in the meantime, and Spock have figured it out. And and so they go to his quarters as well. And Kirk tries to get the creature to attack him and then McCoy gets in the way and the creature does end up attacking Kirk and she like freezes Kirk and like she's about to do whatever it is she does to get the salt and kill him. And so then Spock intervenes and tries to fight her. That may have been before she freezes Kirk. I can't remember. But Spock tries to take a couple shots at her, and he wasn't successful. I guess she was too powerful. And so right before she's about to kill Kirk, McCoy fires the phaser at her. And it doesn't kill her. It makes her fall to the ground. And then you could tell McCoy doesn't want to kill her and initially didn't want to kill her because he was still thinking of her as crater, right. Uh, as the, the, the love uh, interest that he had. Uh, but he, I think he, he comes around and he realizes it's not really crater. And then, well, the reason for that was because Spock had come in earlier and was trying to like prove to McCoy that it wasn't crater with the very cheesy punches that they do in the original <laughs> series with the just the slap effect in the background. And he kind of helped McCoy like come to his senses a bit, even though McCoy was still resisting because like he was still trying to like fight with Spock about actually firing the phaser before he fired. Right. Right. Oh, and we should mention, too, that right before Kirk is about to die, the creature, I, I think that's when the creature took on its its actual form, right? And, and they could see the what the creature actually looked like. Mm-hmm. Is that right? And then and McCoy fires a phaser at, at her, and then she turns back into Crater to, to kind of appeal to McCoy's soft spot. And McCoy's got the phaser at her, and and he's not necessarily going to shoot her, but she starts approaching him, and it's clear that what she's going to do is is try to kill him. And so he has no choice but to shoot her again with the phaser and, and kill the alien. And so I like that because... It, in, in Star Trek, one, one of the things I love about Star Trek is the, the respect that uh, Starfleet has for 
other alien life, other civilizations, other cultures, and they they never want to take life, right? They're they're always trying, you know, as as much as possible to avoid taking life, but uh, you could see the conflict in McCoy in that scene. I, I thought the actor did a really good job. I can't, what's his name? I can't believe I can't remember his name. The actor that plays Leonard McCoy. We may have to cut this part. It's embarrassing. DeForest Kelly. <laughs> DeForest Kelly is his name. I, I, you, I thought he did a really good job playing that scene because you could kind of see the conflict in, in McCoy of not wanting to take a life, even though it was a, an alien life that had been fatal to their crew, right? Had killed several crew members. But he nonetheless does what he has to do to defend himself and the ship. And, and he kills the alien. And then at the end of the episode, there was a scene, it it was the very last scene of the episode, and Kirk and Spock and I can't remember if McCoy was there, but they were on the bridge, and Kirk makes a comment, he's kind of staring off into space, and Sulu's waiting for the order to, you know, to take off, and and Kirk was kind of thinking about something. Do you remember what he said he was thinking about? No, I actually don't remember. So he said he was thinking about buffalo. Oh, right, because the buffalo on Earth, like, they mentioned this, I remember now, they mentioned this earlier in the episode, how, I think it was Dr. Crater speaking to them about the the alien life form, about how it was the last of its kind, and he relates it to the buffalo on Earth, who, like, they used to cover multiple states in America, but then they were extinct. Yeah, so he's saying how in this in this future, it's Star Trek, the 23rd century, the buffalo are extinct. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so Kirk is contemplating that, that sacred of life, right? Which is a, a theme all throughout Star Trek uh, th- that I really like. So they, they don't take it lightly that they had to kill this hostile alien. And, and I think that does a really nice job of setting the stage for the story of Star Trek as, as the very first episode that, that ever aired. There's uh, As far as themes go, I thought there's a couple of other themes that stood out to me. One is that people aren't always who we think they are, right? And that's kind of embodied in the character of Nancy Crater, the alien appearing differently to different people, depending on their the other people's perceptions. So that, I thought that was an interesting theme. And then the theme of grief, right? Because the professor, he... I mean, he lost his wife. The alien killed the real Nancy Crater. Yeah, I think he said she died like a year or two ago. He couldn't even remember specifically. Right. And so he's still like grieving the loss of of his love, of, of his wife. And, you know, and that it's difficult to let go. And so he, he has these interactions with the alien who can appear to, to look like his wife, right? And then in a, in a lesser sense, McCoy too, right? Just the dealing with the loss of, uh, of somebody he loved. He hadn't, hadn't seen her for a long time, but somebody that, that he deeply cared about. I think that's, that was evident as well. Um, and he, he even says at, w- at one point, you know, before he kind of comes to his senses and, and realizes that she's not actually Nancy Crater, he says, I won't shoot Nancy, right? Because he was still, you know, coming to terms with the fact that she wasn't actually there. So I thought that those were good themes. And then, you know, themes of environmentalism, which is a, a 
common theme or thread throughout Star Trek and the interdependence of species. You know, how as humans, we rely upon plants and animals for our own survival. And we have to be careful and mindful of the resources that we have so that we can continue to perpetuate the survival of our species. So all in all, I thought it was a good show. So as far as letter grade, I'd give it, I, I gave it a solid B. I thought, you know, and this is the first one we've watched. So I might revise that grade later on if I were to go back and watch it again. But just based on the Star Trek that I know and love and not having watched the original series in a long time, I gave it, I gave it a B. I thought it was a good story, good character development. And, you know, I liked the, the horror genre or subgenre uh, that, that they uh, added into it. So I thought that that was a good, there's a lot of times there's a lot of o- overlap between um, science fiction and, and the horror genre. So uh, what, what, what grade did you give it? Yeah, I gave it relatively the same. I said like a B plus. I was honestly, I was kind of impressed by how the episode looked for its time. I used to make fun of the original series graphically of like how cheesy and old fashioned it looked. But looking, watching the episode this time, I was impressed. I liked the storyline, the concept, and the weird uniforms didn't bother me too much this time. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the reasons it probably looked better than you expected is I, I think they've digitally remastered all those episodes. Yeah. So, so they probably do look a lot better than they actually looked. I mean, obviously on our, on the TVs that we have now compared to what they had in the, the 1960s, they look better, but, but that is n- nice that we have the technology to do that because it makes it a little less jarring. It's a little bit easier to suspend your disbelief when you're, you know, not watching something that, you know, looks, looks like it was uh, filmed in, in the 1960s, right? Which, right. which it was. So yeah. So overall good episode. So we'll be back next time and we'll talk about the next episode in season one. And we look forward to hopefully hearing from you all, whoever is out there that might happen upon our podcast and might want to listen to it. If you'd like to give us a review, we'd welcome that and I'd love to get your feedback and thoughts. Anything you want to add before we close the episode? Not really. I'm just going to say goodbye, everyone, and see you soon. All right. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>